You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with John Bennett. He is the Senior Consultant at Generis. John, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Zach. Appreciate you uh, taking some time out to talk. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to talk about uh, generosity with you. So yeah. um, can you tell us a little bit about Generis and, and maybe some of your past experience that helped you arrive where you are today with the company? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the long and short of how I ended up here actually happened uh, kind of in my encounter in college. I um, was probably a Christian in college, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't a very good follower, if, if you know what I mean. I was probably a believer, mm-hmm. but I wasn't a very good follower and had a radical encounter with Jesus is the only thing I can describe it as. This is back in 1983 and things just turned on a dime. You know, I, I started attending every Bible study I could find, every church service I could find. I started talking to everybody I knew about Jesus and probably in an obnoxious way, to be quite honest. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, things just really begin to go in a new direction for me. So much so uh, at the end of my senior year, I really began to feel like God was calling me to the ministry. And uh, I had no idea what that meant. I, I was the last thing on my radar when I went to college to begin with anyway. So I went to my campus supervisor at the time, who was uh, the head of our campus ministry. And I'm like, hey, dude, I, I feel called to do this, you know, but how do you do the fundraising thing? I'm, I'm like terrified of that. You know, what, what does that mean? He's like, oh, oh. He said, this is, that's the easy part. There's only three things you got to know about fundraising. Number one, find some people that love you. Number two, ask them for money. And number three, may the force be with you. I mean, that was it. You know, so, <laughs> so here I am in 1985. You know, my parents had just paid for my college education. I'm not going to get a real job in the real world. I'm going to be a campus minister and raise money. And I can't, I'm not very good at it uh, for obvious reasons. And so for the first 18 months of my experience on the college campus as a minister, I was miserable. I mean, I love the ministry part and reaching college students, but I just hated the financial pressure I was continually under until about, like I said, a year and a half, maybe two years into it, I was invited to a training uh, down in Dallas, Texas with about 100 or so campus ministers just like me. And for three days, we went through a training in how to really develop your own personal support team. And all I can say, Zach, is I felt like I got born again, again. I mean, (laughs) it was like a transformation, Uh, you know, same guy, same call, all that same gifting. I go through three days of training. I come out the other side, six months later, I'm fully funded. I've got, you know, all the, all the resources I need. I'm engaged to the girl of my dreams because she was not going to, you know, uh, marry me in, in my current financial state. <laughs> and, uh, you know, li- life was good. And so fast forward and then 20 years later, after 20 years of pastoral work, you know, on college campuses for 10 years, local churches for 10 years, I really just had an epiphany in 2005. I just figured out, you know, I'm a better coach than a player, you know. And so I took off and started into this work that I'm doing now for the past 15 years, 
of coaching, consulting, and training uh, ministries. Uh, right now with Generis, uh, I've been with them uh, about two and a half years now. Generis is a fantastic organization, been around about 30 years. It's now the largest consulting firm when it comes to churches and nonprofits around the nation uh, in, in terms of faith-based. And so partner with those guys. And so I spent about 90% of my time working with churches and helping them through developing a culture of generosity. So that's the, uh, that's the quick version, bro. Well, that's really great. So once you went through that training, you kind of hit the ground running and were fully funded pretty quickly after that. That's exactly right. It, it took a little while to get ramped up, but at, what, what happened really is that they gave me the tools and resources that were necessary to be successful. Up to that point, again, it was 100% organic. I get some people who love me. And then uh, as I tell the story, it took me about two weeks to figure out nobody loved me anymore because nobody was uh, connecting with me to give me some financial support. <laughs> and so once I figured out uh, the process and once I was trained and coached and then had the tools and the resources, yeah, I mean, I think probably we raised, uh, you know, uh, probably one to one and a half million in the first 10 years uh, from the campus ministry standpoint. And then I uh, got into local churches. But even in the local church, when I was on staff and you have a salary, so to speak, I still was very involved in the fundraising aspect from, you know, both mission projects to, uh, you know, uh, younger generation kind of uh, youth outreach kind of kind of things we would do, that type of thing. So those principles have kind of stuck with me for this uh, for this whole time. Now, how have you seen... Uh, over the last year, COVID affects generosity with some of your clients. Yeah, yeah. COVID has just been, uh, as we all know, the game changer. Uh, 35 years of doing this, never seen a year like this. But I got to tell you, there, there was a couple things that really surprised me. One, one thing was not so much of a surprise, and that would probably be with my ministry clients, uh, my faith-based nonprofit clients. Uh, obviously, they couldn't do the you know the spring events, the golf tournament, the gala the different fundraising events they normally do. And then we got to the fall and all of a sudden you couldn't do those events again. Or if you did them, you probably had to do them virtually. Mm -hmm. And so what I began to really wrestle through with my nonprofit clients was, listen, we have got to change the game uh, uh, completely. We've got to do a 180 here and we've got to really think outside the box about how we're going to continue to reach supporters. And for them, for the most part, it, it's been a tough year based on the fact they couldn't do events. And then secondly, it's been very hard to cultivate new relationships. And, mm. and I think that's because of the thing that surprised me. And, and this is the other side of the coin here with my church clients. Uh, immediately in March, you know, we went into 911 crisis mode, right? So a lot of churches weren't even online. Uh, so we had to help them, you know, coach them through how to get online. Uh, so a lot of them didn't even have digital giving platforms set up, or they, if they did, it wasn't very, it wasn't a very good one. So wow. I had to work through that through March and April and even into May a little bit. But we got them online, and then what began to happen really began to surprise all of us at Generis. Like I said, there's probably about 45 of us uh, that are consultants there, and we began to have these team calls. And I heard story after story after story of giving is up. Giving is staying really stable within the church context. And now, you know, several months later, time we're doing this now is December of 2020. Um, what I begin to realize is that people who are very committed to a particular organization, whether a church or a ministry, stayed very committed to that church or organization. 
and in some cases, accelerated their giving. They really wanted to make sure that those causes they loved were fully funded, and they began to really get behind it. And so what I found is that there's really one of three categories churches fell into. Number one, they're just not doing very well. Giving's down, even, even though expenses are down, they're just really hurting. But that seems to be the minority of clients that we're working with. Uh, then the second category are clients that are maybe giving down a little bit, but expenses are down, so they're you know they're about they're about even. But the third category is what really surprised me, and, and most of my clients are in this. The giving is actually a little bit up or way up, and expenses are down, and so they're having an, a great year. And so mm-hmm. it, it just kind of surprised me, like I mentioned at the beginning uh, of my answer here, is that. People just really uh, showed their hearts. Generous people really showed their generous hearts through this COVID season uh, to really stay committed to these causes and charities and churches that they were concerned about. Were you guys able to see any um, consistencies with the organizations or the churches that giving was up and expenses were down, where they were just having a really great year? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. There was definitely some of my clients are in that category right now. I'll talk about one maybe a little bit later uh, in the show, but uh, one that, that is in a very rural area. Um, and uh, I was in a conversation with them. We've been uh, working with them for shoot the past uh, two years. And uh, like I said, rural area have one major manufacturer in their particular town. And if that uh, company or that factory shut down, it would literally ruin the entire town. Well, the factory stayed open. Good things are happening there. Their giving is up. Uh, their giving is strong. And uh, yeah, so it just kind of shows that even in the middle of a, a tough place, uh, this is an upstate New York rural area, that uh, giving is up and expenses, of course, are, are down. So they're actually doing really well. well that's exciting to hear. Um can you talk about some of the trends you see in generosity in the church and, and maybe share why you feel or you think the church struggles to give beyond that? Some of those stats say around that two percent, two and a half percent mark. What is, and this is like pre COVID stats too, right? So <laughs> yeah. what, what are some of those trends that you see uh, and, and why is the church struggled in that area so much? Yeah. Yeah. I would say first of all, and I'm sure you probably agree that it, it kind of, uh, it kind of breaks your heart, to be honest with you, that, you know, the giving is hovering around two, two and a half percent. Uh, if you talk mm-hmm. about all charitable giving in the U.S., I think the past uh, Giving USA report said it's at 1.9 percent of GDP. Uh, in the church, you're exactly right. It's somewhere between two and three uh, percent. So it's a little bit of a heartbreaking or really concerning type of issue to to people like you and I who are really trying to fan the flame for organizations out there to help them be fully funded. But I think, you know, if you're really going to try to address the question, number one, you know, the giving, giving is a hard issue. It's really not a cash flow issue. You know, mm. it's not really about money. It's a lot more about the heart. Uh, I mean, I think it was Martin Luther who said there's uh, there's three different conversions, the heart, the head and the pocketbook. Right. So <laughs> it really has to do with are you going to come under this uh, surrendered type of lifestyle to say, you know what, God, you, you're, you're going to have all of me, including my money, which is ironic because Jesus talked uh, more about money than, than he did faith, prayer, hope combined. In fact, I think if I got my research right, uh, 16 out of 38 of Jesus's parables were about stewardship, resources, and money. Mm-hmm. So Jesus obviously understood this was a really important topic. And so 
The first thing I think we got to address is it's, it's a transformation issue. It really has to be uh, dealt with at the human heart level. I think the second thing, the second reason why it's it's kind of hovering low is it's either a lack of vision or a lack of communicating the vision really well. I think those two things really come into play, especially in a church context. A lot of times ministries will do that a lot better. But sometimes a church just will assume or presume way too much. They'll, they'll presume that people are showing up or they're saying amen. They may clap once in a while. That means they really get the vision. And the fact is they don't. They don't understand how to connect the dots between being generous and how that's really affecting life change. And so I think it's super important that we learn how to communicate the vision well so they understand to connect the dots between their generosity and somebody's life really being changed. And I think the third reason for me is I really thought about this question is that, you know, my own story. I mean, I heard the gospel for the first time when I was nine years old in a Presbyterian church in a building I didn't pay for. <laughs> and then a, a year or so later in a Christian camp, I heard the gospel again and gave my life to Jesus in a camp that I never supported. And then when I was in college, as I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, you know, I had an encounter with a campus missionary who really uh, challenged me. And I never supported that campus ministry. So in other words, I received the gospel for free, but that doesn't mean the gospel, preaching the gospel is free at all. You know, it, it takes a lot of money to do that. And I think in some ways, all of us who have really received the grace of God need to understand that we need to pay it forward now. You know, we need to build uh, platforms that the gospel can continue to be preached. And so there needs to be a sense of urgency around the mission that, you know, I've received this freely. But I also I need to have a sense of responsibility to pay it forward. Well, and, and back to that that second point that you made around vision, the end purpose and goal is pretty much the same for all churches, right? The the gospel, but um, there's there's different visions and missions within different contexts of local bodies of churches and believers, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so being able to communicate that clearly to your congregation so that they know, hey, here's the direction we're going within our local area, that's that can be significant when you when you start talking about um, requesting support and investment on that vision. That's exactly right. And so yeah, there's a huge difference between a church right now that is lacking mission and those who are very missional. In fact, one of the things I think that may come out of COVID, and I don't know if I'm a prophet here or not, but one of the things I think will come out, Zach, is that churches and organizations that are really missional, I mean, incarnational missional, I mean, they've really got it in their bones. They talk about vision, they talk about mission, they live it. I think those organizations and mission and, and uh, uh, ministries and churches are really going to begin to prosper. And I think it goes back to what we just talked about or what you just mentioned a moment ago. It's the ability to communicate that vision in such a way it gets into the bones of the people where they realize, you know, whether I give my time, whether I give my energy, whether I give my resources away, it's all for a cause. It's a lot bigger than me. So what are some of the things that we can do to increase generosity within the church? Generis, uh, are you guys international or are you working primarily in the Western church context, Western ministry context? Yeah, yeah, primarily in uh, in the U.S. and Canada, but we do have some international clients as well. Things do begin to break down in other, other contexts, as you know. It's a little bit tougher in other situations, but I'd say probably 95% of our work is in the U.S. and Canada. 
but we do have some international clients. And so that's been kind of fun uh, uh, to handle, you know, attack that challenge, but increasing generosity overall, which is a, a really great topic to talk about. First of all, I'd just say, you know, we just need to talk more about money. You know, uh, I think a lot of ways uh, the church got a little bit freaked out. Uh, ministries got a little bit freaked out because of some stuff that went on in the 80s uh, about, you know, different versions of the gospel talking about, you know, it'll, it'll make you rich and so on. And I think people really kind of almost swung the pendulum too far to the other side. So we're not going to talk about it at all. But the reality is that every one of us is talking about money almost daily at home, right? I mean, we're having right. a money conversation. We're talking about the bills. We're talking about the business. We're talking about the kids. And so when you get to the church, we've got to be able to have that conversation in a more real way. And I, I think when you really talk about uh, what that means to, 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 to have more of a money conversation at church, really what you're talking about is creating a, a culture of generosity, right? Because words create worlds. Language determines culture. So the more we create a culture within the organization, within the church, that says it's better to be generous or God is generous, therefore I want to reflect, reflect who he really is, then I think that's uh, the goal there to develop the kind of culture of generosity. So one pastor uh, is one of our clients. Out in the Phoenix area, he's adopted this phrase that actually a lot of churches around the U.S. have, and it's simply this. It's give first, save second, and live on the rest. Give first, save second, live on the rest. And it's a mantra that they almost weekly, uh, 52 Sundays a year, they get up and they'll say some version of that, so much so that it's really beginning to be ingrained into the, the culture of the, of the church. So they understand that giving first really honors God because it's prioritizing him. Saving second is really about building wealth or, you know, paying for your future self. And living on the rest is really about teaching contentment. And so there's this principles underneath that that people are beginning to understand that, yeah, you know what? When I get paid, I'm going to give first. I'm going to save second. And then I'm going to live on the rest because these things biblically are going to make me a healthier person as I become a more generous person. So I like that because I think those words start creating worlds, start creating culture within the church to help it become uh, just 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 more generous overall. So if I could get uber practical for a minute, I'd say, number one, if you're, you're a pastor listening right now, I would inspire weekly. Remember, you have 52 opportunities every, every year to inspire people to be more generous. So inspire weekly, preach on it annually, do a series every year. I encourage pastors to do that all the time. Uh, my pastor of the church I attend two years ago did a six-week series on money. It was fantastic. And then I would say, finally, model consistently. So in other words, it's not just talking about it, not just preaching about it, inspiring people, but really model it. Talk about how the church is generous. Uh, maybe have some testimonials of people that went through a financial peace university and got out of debt, and now they're more generous. Continue to model it uh, from uh, the pulpit to the pew, the pew to the pulpit, so that people really understand what it looks like to be generous. And now, how does that translate with into the like a parachurch type space where a, a nonprofit ministry might not have a congregation that they're speaking to on a on a weekly basis about? Like, there's they can't do a series on on generosity. You know, there's other. They don't have that kind of attention. What does that kind of look like in yeah. your, when yeah, you guys a, consult and coach one of those type of ministries? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an excellent question. 
Uh, a couple thoughts came to mind. One, one is that, you know, when it comes to, let's just take major donors of an organization, uh, they're giving, you know, five, 10, maybe even up to a hundred thousand plus to uh, a charity, to a ministry. Uh, a lot of times that they're giving at a higher level, uh, they're people of wealth. Uh, to build a relationship with them, number one, it, it, it's, it lets them know that their gift is not transactional. It's not just a transaction to you, but you actually want to build a relationship with them. But number two, we used to talk about and teach the concept of discipling your donors. And I think you have a, a trusted relationship if you take the time to visit with them, to talk to them about the ministry, but to also really talk to them about their own life, about what God's up to, and really begin to get some resources into their hands. So I think you may have, as an executive director of a ministry, you may have a unique opportunity with a donor to actually lead them down their own journey of generosity, to help them understand what that means. Because you've got one-on-one FaceTime, and you may have one of the uh, only trusted relationships with them to be able to speak into their life like that. So I think it's a very unique role. Second thing is we did this when I was running a nonprofit organization called Ministry Ventures. We did a JOG event. Uh, JOG is an acronym. It means Journey of Generosity. And it's a 24-hour, you get away. Uh, The folks at Generous Giving will actually send you a facilitator uh, for free. And you take your board or you take some major donors away and you get to a hotel and uh, you go through this 24-hour journey of generosity. And it is a highly collaborative, just non-judgmental uh, beginning of the conversation of what it means to go, I'm here, and does God want me to go there? And it is so, so powerful. I still remember the one we did. We had one of our board members there, advisory board members there. His name is Bob. Bob is uh, very wealthy. And uh, he literally started breaking down at the end of the meeting going, you know, I gave uh, X amount last year. He said, I'm going to tenfold that this year. I realize, you know, I've been holding back. I've been selfish. I've allowed lifestyle creep to come in. And he's saying this in front of a group of about 15 or 20 people, you know, and he's just being real about where he's at in a very non-judgmental context. And so that's just going back to that whole idea that we have the opportunity as as executive directors to disciple our, our givers and especially disciple our major donors. Now, do you see a, a correlation between generosity and the communication between a church or a ministry with their donors? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think in some way churches are just starting to catch up with, with what great charities have been doing for years. In other words, uh, major ministries, major charities uh, do a much better uh, job normally of communicating how an in, uh, how the, the impact of an individual's giving on the life's, uh, lives that are being transformed. Uh, they communicate well. They communicate often. They come and visit. They build relationships. They talk about, hey, you know, you've been giving and this is what's been happening. And so I think in a lot of ways, the church is just really connect, just beginning to catch up with that. Now, that's not to say that we don't have uh, clients. I have clients right now that are very good at this. But uh, a lot of churches will default to two things. Number one, they'll get up and they'll say on Sunday as they receive the offering to everybody in the room, thank you for being so generous. Now, the problem with that is, that 50% of the people per our data, per data of any giving uh, that studies the church, 50% of the people that you say, thank you for being so generous, are not giving anything at all to the church. (laughs) You you get a little bit of a problem there. In fact, the church I attend, which is a mega church here in Atlanta, 
the pastor got up one day and said, uh, 70% of the people don't give anything to the church. 30% all the heavy lifting of millions of dollars for this organization. And so you get up and you say that 52 times a year. Thank you for being so generous. And then once a year, you get a statement in January because the IRS makes you do this. It's called a giving statement. And it says, Dear John and Beth, thank you for your gift of X. Uh, please use this for your tax purposes. Levin kisses the business administrator. I mean, that is it. That's the whole package of communication around my generous giving throughout a year to a organization that's supposed to be about life change. And so what we're seeing now, what we coach ministries and churches now is into doing everything from the weekly reports all the way to annual impact reports to even opportunities to take some of these pace setters away and talk about the vision and talk about their own journey of generosity. And so we're seeing churches really begin to catch the wave and catch the fire of what nonprofits have been doing well for a long time. Mm. Yeah, we I'm on board with that completely. We believe that there is a really strong correlation between communicating to the church uh, what God is doing through that church, what he's doing um, uh, through a ministry, what he's doing across the world, and, and the, generation, then the generosity that that has the potential to create uh, and that comes out of that kind of storytelling communication um, can be significant. Is there, is, in your guys' work, have you seen that correlation play out within, like specifically around storytelling, the, communicating the stories of how God is transforming life through the organization, the entity, the ministry, the church. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Zach, well, first of all, thanks for leading the way on that because it, it couldn't be, not be a more important topic. And that is to really help organizations tell their story better. Uh, let's face it, you know, in the world we live in right now, uh, it is just, we are just inundated with messaging all day long. Mm-hmm. I think it's Seth Godin who says, you know, uh, our parents, uh, receive 2,500 times more messages than their parents. And we in our generation are receiving 2,500 times more messages than our parents. And so, and so, and so it grows exponentially. So how do you not get lost in the noise? I think you tell stories well. Mm. Uh, You you have to do that in a lot of contexts, a lot of mediums, a lot of use a lot of modes, whether it's social media, your website, email, in person, whatever it might be, but you have to learn how to tell great story. So, I mean, just take, for example, you know, if I'm getting up and uh, after summer camp and I'm the youth pastor and I'm front of the church and I'm, uh, I say, hey, you know, we had youth camp this week and, and all the adults are sitting in front of us and we want you to know that we had several hundred kids come and 40 kids gave their lives to Christ. And, and what, what's the congregation going to do at that point? They're all going to clap because 40 people who they have no idea who they are, will clap because 40 students gave their life to Christ. Or the other alternative is for that youth pastor to get up and go, hey, I just want to let you know God's on the move. Thank you for being generous. 40 40 students gave their lives to Christ, but we want to tell you one story and then roll the tape. And for Mm -hmm. two minutes, some student telling their story of the impact of camp. And so the only one that's going to walk out of church that morning and real and remember 40 is the guy who loves baseball statistics, right? <laughs> he loves right. numbers. But everybody else is going to walk out of the building and go, man, that story brought me to tears. That is so amazing. I hope that's true for my kids. I hope that's true for my grandkids. I hope that's true for my nephew and niece. They begin to personify that story to say, 
that's what I believe for my family. So that's the power of telling a story. Yeah. That's so much more memorable. And, and when we're emotionally engaged by something, we remember those things mm-hmm. far longer than we do if we're just being communicated data and statistics about something. That's right. Now, how often do you guys encourage ministries or churches to make a financial ask? Like, What's the balance between when, when you consult and come into partnership with a, a church or a ministry – What's that balance you're encouraging them to find between the communication and the storytelling of what God's doing through their organization and some type of financial ask that's may or may not be tied to that communication? Yeah, yeah, really great question. You know, I think if you got to divide out ministries and churches for a moment, ministries, you know, I coach the seven to one rule. So it's seven non-solicitation uh, contacts to every one solicitation. So, you know, that a non-solicitation could be everything from a newsletter to a, a social media post to, you know, something, some touch, some visit, cup of coffee with somebody visiting, build relationship, that kind of thing. Some but eventually, touch brand yeah, touch point. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So some touch point, And then eventually we're going to have to have an ask. Ironically, on the church side, what I typically deal with and have to coach through are pastors that are very hesitant about asking. Uh, some are, are, are anomalies. I'd say 10% of my clients are anomalies. They're like, oh, yeah, no, no problem, bro. I got this. You know, I, will, <laughs> I will ask boldly. Uh, but I would say probably you know, 60 to 70%, I really have to kind of coach them through both to allow their defenses to drop, and then what I tell them is, listen, if awkward is in the room, you brought it. You can't feel awkward about making a big ask. You can't feel awkward about being bold because this is not about you. This is not even about the money. This is about this mission being fulfilled if, you, if, if they'll step up and do what God is asking them to do. And so a lot of ways on the other side, it's more that they seem to be less likely to ask and so to be real pragmatic on the church side, I'd say 52 times a year, I think it's really important to be super intentional about that offering moment. Uh, more and more churches in a post-COVID world are going to go to no uh, receiving of an offering, meaning they're not going to pass a, bu- a bucket or a plate anymore, uh, mm-hmm. I, which I understand. And I think that's okay because you can have a giving kiosk, you can have ba- boxes in the back. And in fact, now digital giving is way on the rise anyway. People are giving in a non-plate context, but I think you should be very intentional about the offering moment, what you say and how you encourage people uh, to give. Like making sure at some point, at least in a church context, that there is time set aside for this is this is our moment or it's time we're going to set aside to, as a congregation, come before the Lord with our gifts. That, that exactly right, man. You nailed it. That's right. And so... If your recommendation for the the parachurch space, we'll call it, is that seven to one, what are you guys actually seeing? Yeah, that's a really good bit. You know, so the seven to one is a little bit of a uh, just a great, it's almost like sticking your finger in the wind. Uh, it, it is more, but I think the idea like a good behind, starting point. Yeah, it is. And it's just the idea of, listen, you need to inspire and you need to inform and you need to build relationship first. That that's the idea, and so the seven to one is almost kind of a, you know, it, it is what it is. But I don't think it's necessarily things that people are actually counting. 
uh, again, with uh, ministry leaders that I typically work with, which are probably, let's say, anywhere from a $2 million annual budget and, and below. In other words, not the real larger organizations. A lot of times they're understaffed. Uh, they, they're wearing too many hats. Uh, they're, they're the, you know, the tyranny of the urgent is demanding their schedule. And so a lot of times it's really just helping them set up systems. Mm. They're going to push out communication. They're going to make sure that people get on their calendar to go meet with them for lunch or coffee or whatever it might be. And then strategically at the right times of the year to make that ask. And I'm talking about mid-range donors to major donors in that case, smaller donors, same thing. We've got to have a calendar. We've got to have a system, but it's, the ask is going to be different. Primarily, it's going to be social media or email that we're going to do that. But we've got to build a case and we've got to continue to instruct and inform and inspire as to what's going on with the ministry. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so are you guys consulting in, on, especially in the... Uh, the we'll just call it mass fundraising space where you're communicating with smaller donors, um, a lot of social media communication, a lot of email communication uh, on, on being nimble in where those audiences are engaging with content. Cause like our inboxes every day are getting more congested and, mm-hmm. and people are kind of just throwing junk away now and, and not responding to the thousands of things that they've subscribed to. And so, uh, um, obviously the, the how that plays out with any given ministry is going to be unique because every single ministry's audience is different uh who they're talking to is different so like how how do you guys navigate some of those spaces with in your consultancies or consultancy work with your clients yeah yeah that's a really uh good way to frame up uh giving tuesday actually uh we have a client i've worked with uh, all of 2019 a christian camp called willens Fantastic camp. Uh, I mean, it is just outstanding. Uh, the impact, uh, the way, well, I'll give you a quick idea. They sell out campers online. Uh, parents are getting ready. To, when, when, when they open registration, they sell out in four and a half minutes. I mean, this, this place is so popular, but they're getting wow. ready to expand it. We're doing, helping them do a capital campaign. And so when it got to Giving Tuesday, um, uh, our, our team uh, visited with them and we're like, hey, listen, Giving Tuesday is getting way overcrowded, to your point. Yeah. A lot of voices, a lot of demands, a lot of hands out. They said, let's pick a different day and let's just try. So what they did is they uh, did it about a week or so beforehand. They called it Woodlands, a uh, National Woodlands Day. That's what it was, National Woodlands <laughs> Day, which was cool. And so I had a little bit and they, they, they kind of leaked some stuff out about it. They kept talking about the fact that, hey, uh, we don't want your support this year because we're trying to bail our budget out. By, by God's grace, we've done okay, even though COVID you know, kept the camp numbers low. He mm-hmm. said, we want to expand in 2025 and double the, imp- double the footprint of our uh, camp. And so they did National Wood- Woodlands Day. And then the other thing they did well is they ended up with two different matches. And so up to that point, I think that the best Giving Tuesday they'd have was like somewhere between seven and 9,000. This year, because of the matches, they had 161,000 come in uh, and doing oh, in wow. a uh, completely, you know, social media driven, email driven context, you know, so it really worked out well. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a significant increase. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you, we've touched on this a little bit, but how do we, how do we avoid making uh, congregations or donor bases feel guilted into giving and kind of 
help shift that mindset to the fact that this is an invitation to be a part of what God is doing. This is an invitation to be a part of like his redemptive story and that, and and create excitement around that invitation. Like he's inviting us into the greatest story ever told. And there's uh, the mentality around generosity and giving tends to be oftentimes communicated in a way that makes a congregation feel guilty that um, I just need to give because I'm here, I'm part of this church or whatever it may yep. be. Like this is such a bigger invitation than, than what is communicated most often. So how do we shift my, like this is a big shift that need it's a, mm-hmm. it's a large, large task, but like, what are some of the things that you guys are doing? Yeah. Well, again, uh, I, I love your phrase. It's an invitation to a bigger story. I, I think that, it, Zach, I think that is so spot on. I love that phrase. It's an invitation to a bigger story. That's true. So part of it just begins right away with, uh, as a leader of a congregation, or even a leader of a ministry, me communicating the fact that this is not what the church wants from you, but it's what God has for you. Hmm. It's not what we want. It's what God has for you. So there is a little bit of a divine exchange, right? It starts with the gospel, right? I give him my life, you know, even though it's broken up and busted up and, you know, I've kind of driven it into the wall and beat my life up. And then he gives me his life in return. But it feels like a, a real price to pay. You know, I'm giving my life away. And then and then what I figure out once I do that, the peace that comes and, and the blessings that come and all these things, I begin to figure out to live God's uh, my life God's way. That it's much better. I'm much better off because I do that. The same thing is true with with money, for but for some reason, for some personality types, you know, the idea of crossing the line of lordship in their life and going, I'm going to surrender everything to the Lord. I'm going to start giving Him a percentage of my income. Uh, it just seems like a a tough thing to do. And like to your point, sometimes that feels like I'm being pressured into that, or I'm. I'm being guilted into that, or it's an obligation, or I hear people mm-hmm. say, I've got to pay my tithes. I hate that phrase. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pay anything. I pay the electric bill, you know, I pay the cable <laughs> bill, but I don't want to pay God for something or pay the church for something. I really am being invited like into some, a, a some other, sport. just an additional bill that we have. <laughs> <laughs> so true, oh, man. Goodness. It is so true and it's so uninspiring, but yet, like you said, it's really an invitation into a bigger, bigger story. And we've already talked about this before. Ministries and charities typically do this much better. I mean, let's sit and listen to Scott Harrison talk about, you know, what he's doing with clean water around the world and, you know, uh, hide my credit card because I'm going to put it down. You know, I mean, he's going to inspire me about a bigger story of life change. Uh, So many ministries are great at that. The church is catching up to that to go, listen, this is not about you just paying the bills and that kind of thing. It really is about the mission expanding and doing what it is. And, and a lot of that's got to do with the ability to craft the right language. Because, again, words create worlds. You know, what are we saying and how are we doing that intentionally to make sure that people are getting that and not feeling guilted into it? Because that's really what Second uh, Corinthians talks about, right? It talks about giving and sowing, but doing it without pressure, doing it without compulsion uh, is the word there in the NIV. And I don't want to be that person that either inspires people to be you know, compulsive or to feel that way. So it really is a, uh, it's something that has to be thought through very intentionally. Mm, yeah, that's so good. 
Now you've touched on a couple stories. Can you can you share maybe uh, one or two significant stories that you've seen over the years working with uh, Generis of in how increased generosity has blessed the ministries or or churches you serve, yeah. or those that have like blessed the person that is being generous. Mm. Yeah, you know, that's a really good, uh, uh, I want me to start with the individual story. I was working with a client up in Green Bay, Wisconsin uh, a few years ago, and uh, which, by the way, was a bucket list because I got to go to a Packers game on December 14th. I think it was 14 below zero. I did not care. I went with the pastor. He got his tickets, and I got to sit in. Actually, Aaron Rodgers was playing at that point, got to actually be uh, and watch the Packers play there uh, at Lambeau. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, there was a, a church I was working with, and uh, they were challenging people about being percentage givers. In fact, on a Wednesday night, pastor was teaching kind of a stewardship series before we would actually do the campaign, and he challenged them to give 10%. There was a college professor sitting in the uh, congregation that night, went home with his wife. They were both there. And he said to his wife, he said, you know, what? we have not you know, we're not giving percentage. He said, I I think we should start giving a percentage of our income. I said, how about if we start with 3%? (laughs) And his wife's pretty savvy. She looked at him and said, I think he said 10%. I don't think, (laughs) I don't think three is going to get it, you know? And, uh, and not to say there was something wrong with three, but it was just like in that moment, she challenged him and he goes, okay. So he added up that year, what 10% was, and he wrote to check out. I mean, literally, whatever, wherever it was in the year, I want to say it was sometime in the spring. And so it was a pretty hefty check. And so the next Sunday he came and uh, he had a check in his pocket. But something significant happened before that. And when he gave the check to the pastor, he wanted to give it to him personally because he wanted to tell him the story. He said, we wrote this check out on Wednesday night. He said, but on Thursday, I got a call from uh, the University of Michigan there in Green Bay, uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. He said, I got a call from the University of Michigan. They offered me to teach two classes this summer, uh, which was not on my radar screen. And when they told me the amount of money, the amount of money they said they were going to pay for me to teach those two classes added up to exact amount of money I got on this check that I have in my pocket that I'm going to give that I now <laughs> know is my tithe, you know, and was with tears coming down the guy's che- cheeks. He knew that it was so much more than a cash flow decision. It was a God decision. It was a spiritual decision that was changing his life forever, you know? And so the pastor yeah. told me the story and told the congregation. And it's it's an amazing thing how that, that can happen. That's um, really cool. Yeah, I think so too. So on the corporate side, uh, working with a client, I mentioned him a moment ago uh, up in upstate New York called Berean. Uh, church. Uh, love these guys, man. Multi-site in a really rural area. I think the main campus, they may have, I think, 8,000 people in their town. Uh, but the other two campuses, and they're about to have a, a fourth, uh, they're both in communities of about 3,000. Uh, we did what we call a one fund. A one fund is a different approach to generosity than the typical tra- tra- traditional capital campaign. We can talk about that at some point. Uh, maybe in a different podcast, but uh, we did the one fund. The goal was $2.7 million over two years. So this is all giving all in over two years. Their budget uh, is about $800,000, so about one point six. But they set a goal of $2.7 million, which was a real stretch for them over two years. And nobody had an idea that COVID was about to hit. Mm. And but what was so cool about it was uh, they not only hit the 2.75, they actually went above, they hit 3.1 million. 
they actually received an offering as they did their commitments. Two weeks later, we do what we call Big Give. The Big Give was the largest offering in the history of the church. It was well, I think it was close to $150,000. And along with that, they had a piece of property given to them in one of the uh, little areas that they don't have a church yet. They're using a rented facility. A man donated some land, seven acres. And so because they went above and beyond in that uh, amount of money that they received, as well as the money that was flowing in, they were able to start construction on the building of the property that was given to them two years before they thought they were going to be able to build there. And even in the middle of COVID, uh, giving is up. It's actually over where we should be at this point. And the steel is up and the building is up and they feel like it's going to be Right now, they're having to kind of slow down right now because it's upstate New York. It's getting kind of cold, but they will finish up next spring and be able to open that new building up two years before they thought they could. So wow. it's just amazing how you know these principles work in every different kind of context and region around the country. Yeah, that's really cool. I have a, a mentor of mine who I don't know. I think it's just a, a friend of his who's a pastor, I, I believe, somewhere in Texas, it's a small little church. I think he said maybe uh, three, four hundred members of the church, okay. uh, regularly returning members, and and the pastor set out to, um, and I don't know. This may end up being one of your guys' clients, but he he wanted to increase generosity in the church, and he set a goal to get his entire church to that ten percent mark, like everybody wow. in the congregation tithing and giving at a at 10% of their income. And so the start they started small and they they said, "Hey, first we got to get everybody in our church out of debt." Mm. So the the giving came, was inbound and it helped people get out of debt, helped moms that were single moms type situations that didn't have much of an income get jobs. They 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 invested in themselves first, invested in the in the yep. congregation. They got everybody out of debt. They got everybody moving towards and working towards giving 2% to 5%. They finally got everybody in the congregation, a majority of their members, to that 10% mark. Wow. And the the things that they were able to do as a little tiny small congregation with their entire congregation giving at that 10% mark, I mean, this little three, four hundred member church was giving away over a million dollars a year just out to other organizations. They were all of their projects and all of their things were uh, the things they were doing with outreach were completely funded uh, beyond what they needed. And they were able to do far more than what they thought when they set out those to those perform those strategies, mm. execute on those problems, uh, those uh, programs and and they just had still loads of cash that they didn't know what to do with. So they just started giving it away to, to mm. other organizations, other churches. And, and it, I, hearing him tell me that story was just kind of this testament to like, mm. goodness gracious, what if the church yep. as a whole just was like, I know you can, I know there's argument for um, we don't necessarily have to follow that 10% mark anymore, but right. like, what if we just were obedient to that? We, we, accepted God's challenge in what is it Malachi where he's mm-hmm. uh you know he says hey challenge me in this it's the only time in scripture where he challenges his people mm-hmm. he says challenge me in this and see that I don't open up the floodgates like what if the church was to move towards that 
and be generous like she's called to be generous because of and out of an overflowing of our hearts for what Christ's generosity for us has done in our lives. Mm. And I think that that little church example is just a story of the significant ramifications um, that could come out of that type of generosity. And I would just love to see the church move in that direction. It would be so cool. Man, that is an awesome story, Zach. I love that. I love the whole idea too, the progression, right? Starting with getting people out of debt, helping find jobs, getting their own financial house in order, because that's more like a, hey, it's not what you can do for the church. It's what God wants to do for you, right? Mm -hmm. And then to see them be that generous as a church, that is an awesome story. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, If a ministry church wants to move... uh, wants to move their congregation, their donor base, their audience towards increased generosity. What are some maybe simple initial steps that they can start uh, and and some tangible things they can do today? Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, if, if anyone's listening, just wants to have a conversation, I have conversations of, with with no expectation of a contract or getting hired. Any of that. I have conversations all the time with leaders and pastors because that's what I love to do first and foremost. So if I can be a source of just talking through where they are, where they're, what they're thinking about, and just be a sounding board, of course, I'd love to do that. Uh, but uh, one of the things I would, I think one of the ways I like to challenge local churches, because I think one of the things that's going to happen post-COVID is that uh, the local church is going to become hyper local, you know, because let's face it, you can hear great preaching now all day long, you know, uh, turn mm-hmm. on YouTube. It doesn't matter. You, you can access the best speakers, best communicators in the country. Yeah. But those communicators cannot reach your local community. They can't. OK, only you can do that. Right. So I right. think local churches can become hyper local. So one of the questions I would wrestle with as a team would be. Uh, what's the what's the reputation of our church in the community? Uh, what's the word on the street? What are we known for? Are we known for our doctrine? Are we known for uh, that we got three services? Or, or are we known for something that we want to be known for? And then I would ask the question is, what do we really want the community to to recognize us as? And maybe a follow-up question would be, if we would go away tomorrow, would anybody miss us in our local community? And I think if you wrestle through some of those questions, I think all of us could come up with a lot of different answers. But I think the fastest way to kind of reshape who you want to be in your community would simply to be more generous. Kind of like the story Mm -hmm. you just told. I think that was beautiful to be a more generous congregation in the community. That may be with time, volunteering your time, energy, resources, networking, training, education, uh, classes. But it could also be with giving money away. Uh, the ch- church I attend here in Atlanta, they've been doing this for 11, 12 years now, one, uh, one time a year, uh, usually in the fall. Uh, they take up an offering. Uh, they call it Be Rich. And uh, I think it started off, they gave away $2 million, then three, then four. And then this, this past year, I think they're 12 years in now, uh, it was $7 million that came in basically Jeez. over about a, a week. And they take 100% of that $7 million and they invest it into the community. So into schools, into charities, into ministries. And the idea is that we can't do most of the things that they do, but you do it well. So we're going to get behind you. And uh, they come in with a big fat check or they come in with volunteer hours and they really try to be known as the generous church in the community. And I would say this, this particular church, you know, I don't know what its reputation was before 12 years ago. 
but I know what it is now. Mm. <laughs> it's known as one of the most generous churches in our local community. And because it's multi-site, you know, those additional communities are also uh, gaining that reputation of being more and more generous. So part of it, I think, is just really the, the ability to start asking these fil- deeper philosophical questions are, what do we want to be known for in the community? And what are we truly known for right now? And how can we change that to be a different kind of congregation? Then we could start getting really tactical out of that mission that says, we want to do this, we want to do that, and then really help take those steps to be more and more tactical. Mm, that's so good. Well, John, this has been awesome. I've really appreciated the conversation. I hope that this yes, gives some insights for ministry leaders on, on generosity, some of the topics we t- discussed today. If people want to get a hold of you and learn more about what you're doing at Generis or uh, just have a conversation, how can they do so? Yeah, Generis.com. Uh, Generis is spelled uh, sort of like it sounds, I guess. And I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes, but Generis.com. Yeah. And also, uh, if you, uh, feel free to put my email in the show notes as well. And uh, like I said, uh, I have no obligation calls all the time with pastors and leaders around the country. We'd love just to have a, a, a conversation with you, get to know you better, get to know your ministry, get to know your church and see if I can point you in the right direction or if I can help you at a deeper level. We'd love to talk about that as well. But uh, this is what I do uh, all day long. This is only what I do. I, I don't I do not do any other thing on the side. This is what God's called me to now to coach mm. and to really be kind of a Jonathan to the David, so to speak, and a, a Barnabas to the Pauls to, to really help these kings and these leaders really establish and fulfill the mission God's called them to. So, I really appreciate the opportunity from you, Zach. Thanks for taking a few minutes out with me, man, and uh, allowing me to kind of share some of these things. And and I appreciate everything you're doing as well for ministries to help them. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you being on the show. Can I pray for you and Generis real quick? Please do. Father, I just lift up John uh, and Generis. I pray that you would um, guide and lead him as he guides and coaches and consults with ministries and churches on, on being more generous. Father, you have done uh, incredible things in our lives uh, you paid the ultimate price. You were, you are the most generous that's yeah. ever existed. And so, um, out of your generosity and our appreciation for that, I pray that we would be more generous, that we would model that, that we would mirror that to the world. Um, and I pray that you would be with John as he leads and guides ministries and how to, um, shift mindset in, in congregations and donor bases and audiences. Father, I pray that. Um, you would help him to see areas where we can be more effective in this space. And um, I just pray that the church would would see that this is an invitation into the redemption story of humanity. Father, that you have invited us to be a part of what you are already doing, what you're going to do. You don't need us. You could have done it all on your own, uh, and yet you invite us into this story. And so um I pray that the church uh, and us and individually as ministries, as churches would um, see that, that we would see that as an invitation that we would jump on board and we would um, just have excitement and joy around the fact that we get to do this with our father. Uh, Lord, we love you so much in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Zach. John, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Good to meet you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, 
let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.